0: you know us we're very relationship oriented and we put our values first and we like to partner with people who have similar values and so yeah there's going to be bumps in the road but when you when you share the same values you always work through those those problems
1: In this episode of Investors and Operators, I'm going to sit down and talk with Chris Antonello, who is an owner and operating partner at Plexus Capital. Who should listen to this? If you are an industry executive who has wanted to do a deal, but maybe you didn't have a thesis, didn't have a deal, didn't know how to find the capital or put together the deal, this episode is for you. Chris has over 25 years of experience on everything from what 20 plus years at GE and, uh, and a lot in between. So we're going to go deep into one, Chris's background, a little bit on what is Plexus. And then I want to talk about kind of the following topics. What are the types of operating partners that are out there and that you can work with, uh, with Plexus, uh, number two, Chris's background, um, Number three, what does value creation look like after the deal? How do you think about it before a deal? So we're going to cover a lot in this. But Chris, thanks for coming on. And first, let's get a little bit of background on Plexus and then kind of a, a career overview before we go to some of these other topics.
0: Great. And Jordan, you know us really well, so if I'm leaving something out, fill in or ask me. Okay. But uh, we're a private equity firm in Raleigh, North Carolina. We started in 2005, mainly as a sub-debt, mezzanine debt lender, um, and now have that strategy, and we also have a control buyout strategy. Um, we've been doing this uh, for a long time, and we've invested, we've raised over $2 billion in capital. We have about a $1 billion under management right now in about 175 different portfolio companies all across the U.S., and we're pretty industry agnostic. We probably stay away from really do venture capital. We do. Uh, we focus on the lower middle market, which are businesses that typically have EBITDA of around four million dollars. Okay, our first fund that was started in two thousand five was eighty million dollars, and the average EBITDA of those portfolio companies was four million. Today we have a fund is 500 million, 550 million and our average EBITDA is still four million, so we're doing the same size deals, which means we're doing a whole heck of a lot more. So we're really scaled our business. We like that, and investors like it because we can get a good return. Um, you know, if you go up market, it gets more competitive, and margins get thinner. And when you're in the lower middle market, it's not quite as competitive. And if you're if you got the patience and you're willing to spend the time to work with these entrepreneurs kind of formally family run businesses, professionalize those, you can get rewarded nicely as you go to to exit the company. Well, I
1: love the whole tagline of you help small companies do big things. And, you know, we are a small company, we'd like to do big things down the road. And uh, sooner rather than later, but I think some of the principles that you apply to lower middle market companies are applicable across the spectrum. Yeah. Um, So What's what's your background? I mean, I, I know from a high level, 20 plus years at GE, but let's dive into that.
0: Yeah, I think you might have complimented me earlier when you said over 25 years of experience. It's actually going on 40 years. So I think maybe you were... Uh, I would so just I'll look at the GE compliment. part. I would just or, look or, at the or, GE oh, part oh, and geez. let, you, and let right. you
1: expand as yeah. you want to that. <laughs> so, so
0: yeah, I was uh, really... Um, my undergraduate and graduate degrees are in engineering. And uh, so I started my career with GE... And I was there for 28 years in in manufacturing, sales, marketing, service, just unbelievable experience in three different businesses. Um, and the, the one job that I loved that I had was I got to start up a new business at GE. And in large companies, they're they're typically a matrix type management, but in this we set up it as, as a PL. And I just absolutely loved it because all the functions reported directly to me and We moved and made decisions fast and we saw the results of those decisions fast. And I said to myself, boy, if I ever leave GE, I know what I want to do. I want to work with small businesses. And so after my career at GE, that's exactly what I did. I started running a couple of small businesses um, where I met Plexus Capital since that's what their focus was. And I joined Plexus back in 2016. And really, as they were shifting from their mezzanine debt strategy to a buyout control equity, they needed an operating partner, somebody that could work with the portfolio companies. And I started to build out what we call our value creation platform, which is how we create value in these small companies. Um, And now we've got a team of about four or five operating partners who oversee these portfolio companies and work with the CEO and management and the management teams to execute on that value creation strategy. So one thing about you find about everybody at Plexus is like, we do have a passion for working with small businesses. We love it. It, It's just, it's a, it's a great gift.
1: So before we dive into uh, kind of the value creation playbook, the value creation plan, let's go through the different types of operating partners that you work with. And then we'll kind of ask some questions around, you know, the, the, We'll dive deeper into each one of those, but what are just like the high level the types of inter- operating partners you work with?
0: Yeah, let me and let me just preface this too first, Jordan. Before we get into that specifically, with um, like our strategy for buyouts for control equity type deals is really a lot of times you'll you'll get these confidential information memorandums, these books of businesses that are being sold right? And that's a good way to find a business. But also, if you're getting that book, 50 other people are getting the book, All right? So it becomes more of a price bidding type thing. And so what we're trying to do is be proactive in certain industries to really get smart so that um, rather than waiting for something, we're going after something, okay? So we have this thesis-driven strategy. And when we couple that strategy with an operator who understands that industry man, it gives us such conviction that we're going to be successful if we take take that on. Okay. So with that, I'm looking for an operator who might have an investment opportunity. So somebody who they're kind of entrepreneurial in, nation, in nature, they've got great operating experience, great operating history, and they've always wanted to do it kind of on their own and run a business and own a business on their own, but they don't have the capital. Right. They don't have the infrastructure, the legal support. We'll get into some of that later. But so if somebody has an investment opportunity that they're looking for, that's one type of operator that that we want.
1: And this the operator other... could be like someone 10, 15, 20 years experience. They've been working for a larger corporation for a long time. They're like, wait, listen, I actually know this industry. Like I actually know the functional domains that I need to around truly operating a business. And
0: I know the industry. But I and I think I have a deal. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that would be. I'm just. Yeah, it, the first one would be somebody who they have it a deal. Like it maybe it's in their industry, and area of uh, domain expertise, and they know of a business that they can buy. Okay, they just don't know how to do it. All right, that's one. The second one is somebody just has a thesis, so they don't have the investment opportunity, but they have this thesis of, hey, in this industry, this is a great and great investment, great industry because. You know it's growing at this rate these are the demographic trends that are supporting it i know all the players in the industry and my i have a strategy to do a buy and build here would be the platform company here are the add-on acquisitions and they come to us that would be kind of operator type number two okay then oper- operator type number three is somebody who has both the thesis and the deal okay and that's that's kind of gold right if you if you have that that thesis in the industry that makes sense and the investment opportunity within that, okay, that's that's operator number three. And then operator number four is somebody who's just a really good operator who maybe doesn't have that deal and doesn't have that thesis. It's a little harder because most of the opportunities we see, there is a management team, but there are cases where there's investment opportunities that we see that we don't have good operators for, and there might be a fit there. So that, that would be the fourth type of operator.
1: So to recap, the four types of operators are one, an experienced person who knows they have a deal. Number two, they an experienced operator who has a thesis, but maybe not a deal. They just know in this industry, there's a great chance to roll up all these mom and pop shops in the greater Nashville area within HVAC, whatever operator number three is someone who has a thesis and a deal. And operator number four is someone who doesn't have a thesis, doesn't have a deal, but they're just a really good operator and they need that bigger picture. Like, hey, did you know that you could buy companies? Here's the money to do it. We'll help you out
0: structuring it. Yes, that's right.
1: Um, Are there any examples of kind of like, can you double click on those?
0: Yeah. Maybe someone who
1: had a deal, somebody who had a thesis,
0: et cetera. Let me start with, well, I I guess I'll start with somebody who had a deal. And so this guy was an expert in the plastics industry. Okay. And incredibly deep experience in in basically consumer packaging, bottling kind of plastics. Okay, knows everybody from the manufacturers through the customers, and just a passion for this game. He was you know very successful corporate wise. It had he's been a, a friend of ours of the companies for a long time, and he's been to you know some of our annual meetings, et cetera. And uh, always talking to him about, hey, if you ever want to do something, let us know. And so he's kind of working in the background and knew somebody in the industry who was selling their business. He's always building that relationship probably for like three or four years. And then when he got done with his existing job and uh, they were sold, he was like, okay, now's the time for me to jump off and see if I can buy that business. Okay. And so we partnered with him on that business. And uh, so that was one. Okay. Um, So that's a a, a deal. Another one is a thesis. And this was a a gentleman who, he's an expert in pond or surface water treatment. Okay, so you think about it, golf courses got all these ponds, somebody's got to maintain those so they don't get weeds and uh, etc. And so he had been working for a company in that industry. And he thought they were going to give him the capital to execute on his strategy, which was a buy and build strategy. And after like three years of him bringing deals and them saying no, he was like, all right, I got to get off this train, brought his thesis to us. And we love that thesis and surrounded him with a team. We put a partner on his team, a principal, an associate. We had some, gave him some buy side help and said, we're going to help you execute the strategy. And after a year, he closed on his first acquisition and the business is really growing nicely. He's done like two ac- acquisitions since. And now they're doing a lot of just uh, de novo new location startups as well. So that's that was a deal. What, it was a guy who had a thesis, but didn't have a specific deal in hand. Okay. The third one is a gentleman who came to us with a thesis and a deal. And the thesis was around really kind of all water products um, and big into like swimming pool industry. Okay and showed us that thesis. And we were like, we like this thesis. And then also had a great network and was able to, to bring a deal to the table. And so we closed on that deal a couple of years ago and he's building out that value creation plan now as well. Okay. And the fourth gentleman is somebody that we brought on who was an operator that we had worked with in the past. And we brought him on not with a specific deal and not with a specific thesis. Now he's still with us because we haven't placed them in a deal. OK, so I it's like a, little... it's
1: like an operator incubator
0: that that would be, it, yes, it, yeah. it's almost like we like
1: an accelerator program for
0: mm-hmm. seasoned
1: executives who want to expand the career into doing deals, but they just don't necessarily know how to do it. They don't have a thesis. They don't have a deal, but they know and you know that they can execute that. So it also like accelerate. It's like a tech. It's like a startup accelerator almost.
0: Right. We call it um, our executive partner in residence program. Yeah.
1: How long does it typically take? Like, let's say I know Jane Smith down the street at Acme Corp and she's 68 years old. I've known her for 10 years. I know she's time. I had, I was at a barbecue last week with the family. I'm like, Hey, you know, I've, I know your business and I know where you're at. You know, would you like to maybe transition the business from that general type of context to getting a deal done? Yeah. About how long does that take?
0: Yeah. I would say, you know, six months, depending on how proprietary it is, like, if the seller is not educated on the process, it can take a lot longer. But if the seller is, has thought about this and learned about, learned about it, then you can easily do it within six months, okay? But sometimes there's an education process there that people are ready when they're ready, and I can't put a time on that, okay? But if, if the seller's ready. From the time they're ready, it, I would just put in like a six-month kind of window on it. There's a lot there. Okay. Now, in terms of operating support, what we do is we, before we close, we work on a value creation plan. Okay, so it's you, the CEO, working with Plexus. How are we going to grow this company? We really agree on it to a, a pretty significant level of detail, and that might be, you know, organic growth strategy. where We're going to hire a business development sales leader. It might mean an M&A strategy. We're going to do some add-on acquisitions. And one other pillar that we always have is around institutionalizing the business. Like these are small businesses. We're typically the first institutional capital in those businesses, and they don't have a lot of infrastructure. So getting the systems and reporting and the financials up to speed, we help the CEO and their team develop that capability. We have this Finance center of excellence that we come in and help with. All right. On the MA side, we'll bring in a buy side uh, MA support who will go out and look for opportunities for us to buy to add on to the business. Okay. So they'll be making the calls for us. They'll be doing the introductions for us. And then the CEO and Plexus will go and visit those businesses to help uh, add those on. And then, you know, there's a, Typically, a operating partner who's working with the CEO and management team to execute on the strategy, just holding the CEO and the management team and themselves accountable to that execution. And, And so, one of those things might be organic growth, right? So, helping you hire the right business development leader, you know, and putting the strategy and the team in place so that you get that organic growth. It's pretty comprehensive. The support that we give, we're very collaborative, like. We don't run the business. You run the business and we're here to help. And that's that's kind of our operating philosophy.
1: In terms of the board, how's a board generally comprised?
0: Yep. Generally, it will be well, the CEO will be on the board. Okay. A Plexus partner would be on the board. A Plexus operating partner would be on the board. And a, another Plexus investment professional would be on the board. So four... And then the fifth one is reserved for if you have um, an independent board member who isn't a employee, you know, isn't related to the company or Plexus, who may be an industry expert who can help help us grow the company or bring something strategically to the company, uh, that would be a fifth independent operator. And that's that's a typical board composition.
1: Um maybe unrelated to this particular scenario, but more just generally on boards. For boards of companies that have $5 million to $10 million of EBITDA, how are board members typically compensated?
0: Yeah, uh, they're not. <laughs> I mean, like the CEO is compensated from the company. All the Plexus board members are, you know, never, we're not compensated, we're compensated by Plexus, okay? Uh, and now the independent director might be compensated, okay? And it depends on the value that they're bringing, okay? And in some cases, they invested in the company, you know, they they were given the opportunity to invest in the company and we probably would maybe match or give them some incentive on what they invest. Okay. And that would be how they're compensated. But usually it's in the form of some sort of equity, not a lot, but some sort of equity from a half a point to a point of equity and, or just some small compensation. these are small companies. So it's, you know, just call it five to 10,000, a board meeting four times a year. It it all depends, but that's yeah what's typical, yeah. So we
1: talked about the different types of operating partners, the economics, how it typically flows. Maybe we could kind of shift over to maybe a simple question, like how or to how can we make this a simple answer of like what does it mean to professionalize a company? Like yeah. if someone said to me that like what do you talk about professionalize this company? I've been doing this for 5 years. I know my client base I know my services. Like what are you talking about private equity firm? How are you yeah. going to professionalize this company? Please. Yeah. Like but what is it what is yeah. like the the intent of it, that? Yeah. Like what does it mean
0: to professionalize a company? Yeah. Yeah. Such a good question. Um so we uh, we focus in as I said earlier the lower middle market. So companies that have EBITDA in the 4 to 10 million dollar range, right? Um and typically that means we're investing in what was a formerly family run business. There are typically a not a lot of uh, not a lot of institutionalized processes. So what do I mean by that? Like typically in a family run business, and it depends on the size, but the size that I'm talking, more times than not, the financials are being outsourced to a third-party account, all right? I'm using that as one example, okay? And, and what we do is we insource those and we put a controller or a CFO in place. Because, so why are we doing this, right? Because we're trying to create value. And what we do is when we buy that company at 4 million of EBITDA, it's worth five times in the market. So the enterprise value is $20 million. What we're trying to do is create value in growing that company, not just the EBITDA of the company, but also the processes. And we're trying to sell that to the middle market, okay? So if we bought it at five times, the $4 million in in EBITDA, we're looking to, to sell it at 10 times when we go to the middle market. And that's a function of growing that EBITDA, okay, and putting all these institutionalized professional... Processes and teams in place because those middle market companies expect that when they're going to pay 10 times for the company or 15 times the, the multiple for the company, they are expecting all this stuff to be in place. Okay, so you can't just show up and say, Well, we're still outsourcing financials, or Well, we were going to hire a sales leader, a business development leader, but we haven't, or you know, we're a $10 million company with 150 employees and we don't have an HR person. Okay, or we don't have an operating system to run our business on. I mean, that's just not gonna get you the premium when you go to sell this company up to the middle market. So that's what I mean. hopefully that's some examples of professionalizing or institutionalizing the business.
1: Yeah, and I think about it for our company, 51 Labs, we were at one of our clients' annual meetings and I just being in a different context out of our day-to-day business here in Atlanta and just being at their meeting, being in the investor context, I was like, wait a second. What if Jing and I were not doing the execution with our team day-to-day, but we had an investor's mentality for the next 90 days, what would we do to double or triple the business without limitations? What would that look like? And I think that just was that reminder of what professionalization For example, right now I do 95% of the outbound sales marketing leveraging 15 years of experience. Well, what would an investor say? They're like, George, guess what? There are other people who also know private equity firms who also can do selling videos, selling LinkedIn, selling websites, selling PR. You can you should replace yourself to get out of that function. Now, here's how we do that. Here's the plan. Because guess what? As an investor, we've done it 50 times with other companies. And as the operator who hasn't done it, we don't know what that path looks like because we're in the day-to-day freaking business. Like, hey, Jordan, how do you prefer that? I don't know. I'm trying to figure out my 401k right now (laughs) for our team. I was
0: was (laughs) at a board meeting yesterday and had that exact conversation with the CEO. He's doing a great job and we're growing this company, helping him see how to scale the business and I kind of talk about it as if you're a quarterback you can't throw the ball where the guy is you got to throw the ball where the guy is going to be and so we got to set up our organization to where it's going to be okay and it's it's tricky right because you, you, you sometimes you can't afford to hire that person yet right but you got to know the right time to do it and the right time to put cost into the business and add infrastructure so you can grow. Okay. And we live with that every day, to your point. And it's really rewarding to see when the CEO starts to turn the corner on that, you know, and, and it's not, it isn't a light switch. And you don't just start adding people and costs. That's a mistake. It's more, you know, hey, I think we're ready for this now. What do you think? You know, and yeah. you know, let's keep our eye open for this because we're going to need to fill that role. If we're not strong enough here with that person to where we're really going, you know, it, so it's those conversations, and you're always looking and thinking to put that infrastructure in place so you can grow the business.
1: For the small business owners out there, or people that have less, we'll just say less than five million of EBITDA, what are some first principle questions that they can ask themselves when? It's 8 p.m. on a Saturday. Things are a little bit calm. Maybe the kids are in bed or maybe the kids are in high school and they're driving off somewhere. But you have that, you create that time in the space this weekend to ask yourself big questions about the business. You say, I am not going to be doing work executing this weekend. I'm going to think yeah. about the business. Yeah. What can I, this weekend as a small business owner, what are these first principal questions that I can yeah. be asking
0: our team and myself? Well, um, I guess I've, I think about it like, where am I going? Where do I want to be? Like, you know, some it's just so heads down working in the business instead of working on the business. So where is it that I want to be? And what, what's my company worth? You know, and I, I think about like, just getting educated on on that, on what my company's worth. And because i think that's where to start is like let me talk to some people who can um can help me understand how 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 this process works and and, and what my company's worth so that i could say man i'm not near where i need to be right where i want to be or what i expected or wow i didn't think it was worth that much you know what would i need to do to prepare myself to go to market so i would start talking to people and seeking people who could help me answer those questions. Right? So that I'm talking about creating value. What's the value today? And how do you how do I create more value? Like what levers do I need to pull? What buttons do I need to push? I, I would start there. Well and that's a good really good question because I
1: had something similar. It's like, wait a second. I have no enterprise value. <laughs> like if my co CEO Jing and I were also married. If we're not here, well, what is the business? Like, and that's like, okay, well, maybe if we never want to sell one day, this question still forces us to ask, what is the value in the business? Do we have sales and marketing? No, that's me doing sales. Oh, okay, well, how do I replace? How do I build that function? Now we have a great execution team. Okay, that's cool. There's value there. Right. But how do we build out their other functions so there's actually enterprise value? Maybe one way day we sell, but that's not in our, that's not in the two, three year picture right now. But maybe the other thing, maybe we, we want to go buy other companies that build out our capabilities. So we're really good at videos and private equity, you know, con- websites and private equity, for example. But what, what if we want to do the same thing at a lot by a, a law firm focused or a dental business focused? Well, how do we assess value? Um, and I think that kind of reminds me of a conversation I had with uh, uh, Vern Davenport uh, over at QHP Capital, it, you know, in, in your backyard. We just had a podcast, and he, was, he had a similar idea of like, "What's your two from? Like, where are you at now? That's from. Yeah. Where are you going?
0: Yeah, yeah. Make it yeah.
1: easy. Put it on one page. Two yeah. from, <laughs> or from two. Sorry, I'm dyslexic. That's why I got that backwards. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's the same
0: thing I was saying. Yeah. You know? Very
1: similar. But um, kind of bring it full circle. Like, why do you do this? What's what's your big why for doing yeah. what you
0: do? I think it's really rewarding. Like, getting we get to see the American dream. It is unbelievable. You, you see these people who have worked so hard and created incredible amounts of value and wealth. For themselves and their family it's just it's america and it's amazing okay and so to see that at first and then have the privilege of them wanting you to invest in their business and partner with you to take it to a whole nother level where they could make more on the second sale of their business than they did on the first one helping them see and scale that business Uh, And seeing the results of all the decisions we've made and seeing the growth, like it's so rewarding that it's incredible. And the relationships we're you know, you know us, we're very relationship oriented and we put our values first and we like to partner with people who have similar values. Um, And so, yeah, there's going to be bumps in the road, but when you, when you share the same values, you always work through those, those problems. Okay. But it's just having that, all that as an opportunity is just, it's a lot of fun and I I absolutely love it. And I think everybody on our team loves that.
1: So outside of helping small companies do big things outside of growing companies and working with, you know, potential operating partners, what's the Chris Antonello outside of Plexus? Uh,
0: Well, um, I, I like to exercise. I exercise a lot still and I run a lot still. Um, uh I haven't done any marathons recently. Okay. But and I don't think there's any in my plans. Maybe some halves still, around right? But uh, so I exercise a lot. Um and my kids are grown. Uh so we try to spend as much time with them, but uh one son is in Nashville, Tennessee, the other one's here in Raleigh, and spend a lot of time with my wife, and uh we go down to the beach a lot and and just hang out with friends. So it's not bad. Yeah.
1: And what advice do you have of a father to a three and six-year-old who runs a business as well with his wife who is in the business and we're trying to parent successfully,
0: hopefully? You know, uh, everybody's got their own formula. And I just think spending time with them is like the number one thing. If you spend time with your kids, it's probably really good. You know, Um, and that's, and then just, trying to be as good as an example as you can, not so much what you say, but maybe more what you do. Um, I think they're like, they're always looking, (laughs) always watching. Um, And I certainly don't have it all figured out, but that would be my advice.
1: All righty. We've covered a lot of ground in this podcast episode. (laughs) Is there anything you felt like we missed or didn't dive deep enough to?
0: No, man. Always great speaking with you. And uh, thanks for the opportunity. Awesome. And if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way? Uh see Antonella at plexuscap.com. Go to our go to our website, uh plexuscap.com. All my information's out there.
1: All righty. Well, hopefully this has been a valuable episode. It's
0: definitely been for me. Thanks so much yeah. for taking the time for this. Great, Jordan. Thank you.